0: Yes, it was against an NAI opponent in Eastern Oregon, but my goodness, Braden Huff continues to be an absolute menace, and the other young Zags are coming along just fine. Let's discuss. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed. So visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. Well, folks, we're going to recap Gonzaga's demolition of NAIA opponent Eastern Oregon on Tuesday evening. We're going to talk about the great things we saw from some of the young players, talk about some of the funny moments we saw in this game. We're also going to end the show recapping the first 10 or so days. Of the college basketball season across the WCC, we'll take a little chuckle at St. Mary's losing to Weber State. We'll talk about Santa Clara's big win over uh, Stanford. Pacific has a win over Cal. handful of nice things happening in the West Coast Conference. We'll round out the show with that. But let's start with Gonzaga's 123 to 57 victory. Over Eastern Oregon, the team they beat by 78 points last year. This 123 is the second most points scored in program history. They had 52 made field goals out of 82 attempts. That is a sweltering hot 63.4% field goal percentage. And I'm going to say this once, because I know some of you probably did not watch the game, maybe only saw the highlights, uh, and even for some of you who did see the game, I think this is an incredibly important thing that I don't want to harp on throughout the rest of this segment, but I do want to make it clear here. With no disrespect, Eastern Oregon clearly did not belong on the floor with Gonzaga. There is such a big difference between a DT, D2 school or even a good D3 program like Lewis Clark State versus an NAI NAIA program like Eastern Oregon. These guys were significantly below the talent level of Gonzaga's players. And that doesn't take away necessarily from some of the performances. And we'll kind of talk about what the things we saw that we really loved, the things we saw that, you know, we want to see players prove against certainly a a much, much different opponent coming up next week when the Zags play the Boilermakers of Purdue. But this team, I mean, it was clear watching the game that these guys just weren't, Really on the same level. I, I mean, it really looked like that, and I do think, especially for people who who saw the box score and are listening to the show to try to figure out what the heck happened, I really think that that is an important acknowledgement to make up early here on the show. But doesn't mean there weren't some fantastic performances. Every single one of Gonzaga's big men hit a three in this game. Ben Greg. Uh, Braden Huff, great Graham EK, two for two from beyond the arc. Anton Watson hit one of those four players combined to go five of nine from deep. Obviously, opponent caliber does matter to an extent there, but it's still good to see the big men stepping out and hitting threes. And what I want to do now, is for those of you who listened to Tuesday's episode, the preview episode of the Eastern Oregon game, we had my five keys, my five things to watch for in this game. We're going to go through those five because they ended up telling a lot of the big stories for this game. The first thing that I talked about as being a thing I was going to be watching for in this contest is Ryan Nemhard's minutes. And I said on the show, I said on Tuesday's episode for those of you who listens to it, I will be upset if Ryan Nemhard plays more than 25 minutes in this game. I don't have to be upset because Ryan Nemhard played 21 minutes in this game. That was basically the high. I think Jun Sakiyo played 22 minutes according to the ESPN box score. So he technically led the team in minutes, but nobody played more than that. Basically, everybody, legitimately everybody played between basically like 15 and 20 minutes per game. I think Pavel Stosic, who we'll talk about later, played eight minutes. He came in towards the end. But even the walk-ons played 10 plus minutes per game in this one. Like everybody was kind of around the same time, a lot of uh, rotations, a lot of constant subbing out. And that's what we wanted to see. And I was a little worried that Mark Few might push the starters a little bit more in this game because there is such a long gap between between yesterday's game and the game on Monday against Purdue. But then they have three games in a row after that. And it just didn't feel like it made a lot of sense to push the starters in this game. And beyond that, it made more sense to get some of the reserves playing time. Like, yeah, the, the the walk-ons maybe don't need that playing time. but This is the. I mean, Joe Few could play at Eastern Oregon, I think, fairly easily. I, I genuinely believe, and for those of you who watched this game, he looked like he was capable of playing at Eastern Oregon. Colby Brooks absolutely had he wanted to find the school that best fit his uh, ability to play college basketball, it would have been a better program than Eastern Oregon. Like those guys could clearly play at that program. I think we saw that in this contest. So getting those guys an opportunity to actually. Go out and play against competition that that they're easily capable of playing against is a good thing. It's a fun thing. It's an exciting opportunity for Gonzaga, and it allowed Ryan Nemhard to to rest. He only played 21 minutes in this game. Again, Hickman played 19, Kraynovich played 21, Stromer played 21, Few played 13, and, and Nemhard's numbers weren't spectacular: six points, four boards, or I think four assists, three boards. He had four turnovers. If anybody's looking at that, concerned, it was a lot of time just trying to be a little too flashy. I wouldn't wouldn't put a lot of stock into turnover numbers in a game like this. It's it's, he didn't turn the ball. He had much better turnover numbers against Yale. So I wouldn't be overly concerned about that. We'll get to the walk-ons a little bit more later, but the next thing I was watching for in this contest was if we will see June Yo get into more of a rhythm. And that was the, like that was maybe the best thing that happened in this game. Certainly we'll talk about Braden Huff and his phenomenal performance off the bench, but yo did exactly what we wanted to see from him in this game. The, I guess the only thing he did not do was hit those outside shots. Yo finished with 9.7 boards and 4 assists in 22 minutes of action off the bench. 3 of 6 from the field, 3 of 5 from the free throw line. He was 0 of 3 from deep. So 3 of 3 inside the perimeter. Most of them were dunks. In fact, I think maybe all of them were dunks. Uh, did not knock down those outside shots. That's still not an area of his game that we have seen yet, obviously very early into his career. But this is the first time that we saw Junsuk Yo look like a confident college basketball player. Yes, it happened against an opponent. I said I wasn't going to keep saying that, so I'll leave it alone there. But that's what we wanted to see in this game, was Yo look confident. And the thing that really impressed me was his passing. He had four assists in this game, and they were phenomenal. He had a drive to the basket where he quickly whipped the ball out of the corner all the way to Luka Krainovich at the other side in the corner for an open three. It was a beautiful pass. A beautiful pass. He threaded the needle to hit Dusty Stromer, who was backdoor cutting. I mean, Dusty barely handled the pass because I don't think he thought it was going to get to him. That was, I mean, that's the kind of pass that would make NBA highlight reels. Legitimately, it was that good of a pass. He had to throw ahead pass to Luka Krinovich again in transition for, for an easy dunk. That t- It took a lot of touch to get that pass exactly where it needed to be. This was a really good performance from Yo. I got a text from a friend of mine who basically said, yo, looks like a really good passer. We just need him to be wanting to pass the basketball. And I think that's what we haven't seen from him in the first couple of games. Again, it's really early sample size wise, but he looks like when he gets the ball, he's really wanting to shoot. He's really wanting to score. And I I don't think that mentality is bad. He has a lot of confidence, but once he gets more familiar with the offense – and, and finding his role, which this year is still kind of undefined. I think the Venter's injury has has pushed him into a position where maybe he is still trying to figure out what his role is going to be, and maybe the staff is still trying to figure out what his role is going to be. But the ability to make those kind of passes can make Yo extremely valuable – because I think that he can do different things offensively than just like catch and shoot or just kind of straight line drive to the basket. It looks like there's more to his game, more nuance, and it might take a while for that to show up against like higher level competition, but it, this game proved definitively that it's there. Next couple of keys, Braden Huff's encore. <laughs> Braden Huff was incredible in this game. Twenty-three points, six boards, one block. Folks, he played 14 minutes, 23 points in 14. 15 minutes. That is absolutely obscene. And look, I know the competition level. I know that you know we still haven't. We've seen Huff do it against Lewis Clark State. We've seen Huff do it against uh, Eastern Oregon. Here, we did see him do it against Yale. And I think that's an important caveat here. But the game changed when Braden Huff came in instantly. And Grammy K looked great. Anton Watson looked great. Ben Gregg looked good. Everybody looked good in this game. But the game changed when Braden Huff came in immediately. The team started feeding him the basketball. He got touches instantly, and he finished them instantly. He is such a deft scorer around the rim. He has such light touch. I'm incredibly, extraordinarily impressed. I have been restrained in how I have talked about Braden Huff up to this point. I am no longer restrained about how I'm talking about Braden Huff. I'm texting my co-host at On College Basketball being like, guys, look out yes, we need to see it. And, and yeah, he's probably not going to have the same level of success against Yale because he's going up against one of the best big men in the entire country, not one of the best big man in the entire country. But if against Tennessee or Syracuse, whoever Gonzaga plays in the second round, if Huff comes off the bench and bench and double figures, like, yeah, we're there. Like we're, we're fully immersed in the Braden Huff experiment because this has been absolutely incredible. And, you know, maybe, Finally raising that level of excitement after a game like this against an opponent like this may seem a little silly, but if you watched this game, you saw how quickly things turned, how immediately the offense flowed through Huff and how just systematically he found easy ways to score buckets. He found the right spots. He got the right positioning. He found the right touch around the rim. Like It was a a jaw-dropping. They haven't had a player come off the bench and be this efficient as a low-post scorer since freshman year, Drew Timmy. I mean, that's he—he's reminding me of that of being an instant offense off the bench as a big man. That is, I did not think we'd be—we'd be talking about Braden Huff and Drew Timmy in the same sentence three games into the season or two games into the season even. But here we are. Uh, what an incredible performance from him. Dusty Stromer was another one of my keys. Kind of talk, want to talk about him. Uh, as potentially being able to put up a triple-double type number here. Uh, he actually had a pretty quiet night, two points, two boards, one assist on just one of three shooting. Uh, his his one bucket was that really insane pass from, from Jun Sakyo uh, that he scored in transit, or he scored on a backdoor cut there. He was really active on defense. He just didn't do much on offense, not anything that I'm overly concerned about. Just, I think, getting more opportunities for Yo and Krinovich w- was more important in this game, and Dusty's going to find his role just fine. And then the walk-ons. we got to talk about that. we got to talk about Joe Few. We have to talk about Joe Few because Joe Few Few came in at the under-eight mark in the first half. In the first half, he also came in at the under-eight mark in the second half as well. He ended up playing 13 total minutes. Colby Brooks played 10 total minutes. Those two guys got some serious run. Few had three points. All of them came at the free throw line. He also had three steals, two assists. And one of my favorite blocks in Gonzaga basketball history to end the game. A guy caught a ball, was going up for a lay, and Joe Few just stuffed him, completely stuffed the ball. All ball it was a fant- legitimately fantastic block. Mark Few talked about it after the game, said, Not sure he wants to encourage that from Joe. Thinks Joe's more of a taking a charge type of guy, which I thought was a hilarious quote from Mark Few. And probably, uh, I think the reason I found it hilarious is because I think Mark Few was telling the truth. I think that's how he actually feels about Joe Few defensively. But, uh, really fun to see him get those opportunities i know some people were like oh i don't think joe should be in the game blah 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 whatever it's fine reward joe for working hard for three years in practice reward colby brooks for working three three hard for three years in practice brooks uh, had 4.7 boards on two of four shooting in just 10 minutes of action really nice to see both those guys get those moments and then pavel stosis as stosich excuse me as well Played eight minutes. Mark Few mentioned after the game that he'd had some concussion symptoms or a concussion, which is why we hadn't seen much from him before. Makes me think maybe he's not redshirting. I guess not if he's going to be playing in this game here. So uh, we'll see how much more of Stosic we see. Uh, He only played eight minutes here, two points, uh, two blocks, one of four shooting. Uh, We're going to talk a lot more about Stosic on Thursday's episode of Locked on Zags. So we will get to it then. But now we're going to transition here, spend the rest of the show, talking about the WCC. We know St. Mary's lost to Weber State. We're going to take a little bit of joy in that once again. But what else is going on in the West Coast Conference? We're going to discuss that after a word from today's sponsor, eBay Motors. Folks, passion, drive, and patience. That's what brings home the winning trophy. And it's also what helps keep your ride or die alive. And eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you're always going to find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time, or you get your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at all the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that trophy. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply, and eBay's guaranteed fit is only available to you as customers. All right, folks, moving on here to talk about the WCC. I want to thank all of you for making the show your first listen or your first watch of today. Shout out to those of you who are having a fun time in the Game Threads channel on our Discord last night. Uh, for those of you who want to get involved in the Discord channel, just click the link in your show notes. You will be uh, immediately added into the Discord. You can chat about us. We're talking pro zags, women's basketball, NBA zags, MLB, all the good stuff going on in that Discord channel 24-7. Now I want to move on to talk... WCC, because we're about a week and a half into the season. How is the rest of the West Coast Conference shaken up? We'll start at the top with St. Mary's. St. Mary's is 2-1 on the season. They are 43rd in the Ken Palm rankings right now, significantly behind, behind Gonzaga, who I believe is still fifth as of this conversation. St. Mary's has a massive win over Stanislaus State, a Division II opponent, 107-28 to 28 was the score there. They also beat a really good New Mexico team. Now, that New Mexico team was missing Jalen House, who's their best player, a fantastic guard for them, but it was still a nice quality win for St. Mary's and continued to keep them in that conversation as a top 23 top 25 team. And then Weber State happened. On Sunday evening, as AP voters were probably already submitting their top 25 polls, as myself and my co-host Isaac Shade had already submitted our top 25 polls for our lockdown college basketball, uh, we had to make a change because for an eight-minute stretch or a seven-minute stretch, I think, St. Mary's just didn't score against the Big Sky opponent Weber State. They just went completely ice cold. We talked about it on Monday's ep- or Tuesday's episode of Locked on Zags. Uh, we talked about what this means for St. Mary's a little bit and just the fact that they're susceptible to these kind of losses. This happens to the Gales sometimes They because they play such a, a, a limited possession style. They don't have as many opportunities to score when they go cold, when they miss six, seven shots in a row. When Gonzaga misses six or seven shots in a row, it's often over a two- or three-minute span When St. Mary's does it, it can be over eight minutes or seven minutes, and it can really slow the game down, and that's what we saw in this game. St. Mary's is still capable of beating just about anybody, and trust me, they are capable of beating Gonzaga, but they're also susceptible to losing to just about anybody. Gonzaga probably doesn't lose to Weber State, and yet here's what happens to St. Mary's. Now they're out of the rankings right now. This is still a dangerous team. Aiden Mahaney, Mitchell Saxon, still going to make this team very good, but... For now, an opportunity to, to kind of chuckle at the fact that St. Mary started the season with a whole heck of a lot of hype, and we're only one week into the year, and Gonzaga's in the top 25, and the Gales are not. Moving on, San Francisco, 2-1 and one on the season, 88th in the Ken Palm rankings right now. The Dons have wins over Beseda and St. Francis. Not super quality wins there. They have a quality loss, though, to Boise State. That was a very close game against the Broncos all throughout that contest. Their next game is against Grand Canyon, on the 17th at 6 p.m. I forgot to mention St. Mary's next game. The same day, also the 17th at 6.30 p.m., they will be playing San Diego State. So if you're looking to have yourself a WCC doubleheader, Uh, San Francisco versus Grand Canyon and St. Mary's versus San Diego State is a really fun doubleheader of West Coast Conference games. Uh, San Francisco has been really on fire offensively, shooting 37.7% as a team from deep, 57% from the field. Again, two of those opponents are not really all that great, but to be able to, to shoot well against Boise State is a promising sign That is a very good defensive team. The Dons have gotten a lot out of Missouri State transfer big. Jonathan Magbo, 14.3.7 rebounds, three assists, 1.7 steals, and 1.3 blocks. Magbo is tearing it up right now for this team. And then Dayton transfer Mongolian Mike. Mike Sheriff jumps a very exciting former top 100 prospect transferring to the Dons after one year with the Dayton Flyers. 10.3 points and five assists so far for him. A couple spots down in the Ken Palm rankings is LMU, the Lions. Coming in at number 90, they are 2-1 and on the season. They won last night against future Gonzaga opponent Jackson State. They also have a win over Westcliff and a loss to another former Gonzaga opponent in Yale. They lost two by three points to the Bulldogs of Yale. They're playing Stephen F. Austin next on the 19th of November. Uh, Their leading scorer is a very familiar face to Gonzaga fans, Dominic Harris. Right now through three games, 17 points on 53% shooting from three. He has been on a heater to start the season for the Lions. He's coming off the bench, still playing about 23 minutes per night. Uh, curious if I haven't watched enough of their games to know if Coach Stan Johnson is going to keep Dom as kind of a, a three-point shooter, change of pace guard coming off the bench, if eventually he'll transition into the starting lineup. Uh, oftentimes I kind of see if, it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it situation, and that's kind of how I feel specifically about Braden Huff with with Gonzaga. It's like why for, like him coming into the game changes the offense in a, in a positive way. I kind of like that dynamic being the same for Huff, uh, and, and maybe that's the case with Dom at LMU. Again, I haven't watched enough to know, but Dom's not the only player shooting really well from deep. The team as a whole is shooting about 40% from three, could make them a dangerous team when, when time for them to face Gonzaga later this season. Next up, Santa Clara, the Broncos, 102nd in the Ken Palm ranking. So we almost got five WCC teams in the top 100. Santa Clara should sneak in there. I mean, they had themselves the best WCC win of the night on Tuesday evening. They beat the Stanford Cardinal, 89-77, to 12-point victory for them over the, Bronco, or over the Cardinal. They are 3-0 on the year with wins over Utah Tech and St. Francis, as well as that win over Stanford. Their next game is against Southeast Louisiana on the 18th. Carlos Marshall is one of the names to watch here for the Broncos. 22.3 points per game. He is a breakout star. We saw glimpses of that from him last year. Not surprised to see him continuing to succeed right now. Also, Arizona transfer Adama Ball talked about a ton this offseason because Santa Clara gets these kind of guys. Brandon Pajemski, transfer from Illinois, goes on to be a, t- a top 20 pick in the NBA draft. Adama Ball hasn't quite lived up to that That billing yet but he had a really nice game against stanford he's averaging 14.3 points per game do not be surprised if we see Ball's name on nba draft boards very very soon we're gonna close out the show discussing a star freshman for the portland pilots and as well as the disaster that has been steve Labin's tenure so far with the san diego toreros all that coming up after a word from today's sponsor FanDuel. Score early and often this NFL season with FanDuel, folks. America's number one sports bug. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 bucks if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time than right now to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. And right now, if you're feeling enthused and energized and pumped up watching gonzaga do what they've done in their first couple of games and you want to throw some odds on them to win or to get to the final four they got 800 to 1 odds right now 25 bucks nets you 200 and some excitement in that final week of March. so visit fanduel.com slash locked on now and kick off the college basketball season fanduel an official partner of the nfl All right, folks, closing up the show today, talking about four more WCC squads. This is our WCC Wednesday segment. It won't be every Wednesday. It will depend on Gonzaga's schedule, but like to try to keep tabs on how the WCC is doing, particularly in the non-conference, so we can kind of get a better sense of of what Gonzaga's getting into as the WCC season gets underway this year in early January. Uh, We talked about St. Mary's, San Francisco, LMU, and Santa Clara, kind of the top teams outside of Gonzaga. Uh, in the WCC. Now we're going to close it out with talk about Pepperdine, Portland, Pacific, and the Toreros of San Diego. We'll start with Pepperdine. Pepperdine is 3-1 and on the young season. They are 142nd in Kenpom, just a few spots ahead of Portland. I was a little surprised by that. Uh, Pepperdine has a win over Concordia, but only by 12. They have a win over Lafayette. They have a win over Long Island, and then they have a loss to UC Davis by one. They should have beat that UC Davis team. I think they were up 14, 15, something like that. And then they just, Romar's going to Romar. And sometimes that happens to Pepperdine where they just collapse and fall apart offensively. That's what we saw in this game, complete, complete, collapse by the Waves. They end up losing to UC Davis. Their next game is the 17th against UNLV, a nice test for the Waves. They're actually hosting UNLV at Firestone Fieldhouse in Malibu. That's kind of a fun uh, home game for the Waves there. Uh, They have not been playing with Javon Porter, kind of the best NBA prospect in the WCC, Uh, the younger brother of Michael Porter Jr., who also dealt with significant injury issues during his his brief time at Missouri, and now his time in the NBA with the Denver Nuggets. The scoring load has fallen on Houston Millette, third-year guard for them. He has taken that mantle quite happily, 18.8 points per game for him, three boards, shooting 50% for deep. Uh, Still not confident Pepperdine is going to be a team that can really break through in a big way in the WCC, but nice to see them playing decently well to start the year. Next up, Portland Pilots, Shante Leggins, and the Pilots are 3-0 this year, 145th in Ken Palm. Season opening win over Long Beach State. Had the uh, great pleasure of being at that contest. It was fun. It was a back-and-forth game throughout the Zags or excuse me, the Pilots pulled off a victory there over Long Beach State. They also have a win over Lewis and Clark and a win over UC Riverside, also in the Big West. Their next game is tonight against Tennessee State at 6 p.m. The big news coming out of Portland is they got a freshman who is making some waves. Tyler Harris started their first game. I remember thinking, man, I thought I was a really really well-versed in the Portland Pilots, and they got this guy starting that I never even heard of. And now through three games, Tyler Harris is averaging 19.7 points per game. He's second in the country in total points for a freshman. 19.7 points per game, 11 rebounds. He has more rebounds than any freshman in the country. Take that, Eves Missy at Baylor. Tyler Harris leading the country in rebounds for a pure freshman. 19.7 points, 11 boards, 1.3 blocks. He has just not missing. 66% from the field, 60% from deep. Obviously, he is going to slow down, particularly as UP gets into some of the tougher games in their schedule, but what a tremendous start from him. This is a, a young man to really keep an eye on because not only are the numbers eye popping, he's a six foot eight guard and he plays like it. He's long, he's smooth, he's shifty, he's got a solid outside shot. Like this is a like I'll stake my claim here. Tyler Harris might have a chance of being the first Portland pilot to make the NBA since Poo he looks like that kind of guy. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stake my claim right now and say that here in case I'm right. I'm going to put mark down the numbers of when I'm saying this in the podcast in case we want to clip it out, because I think there's a real chance here. Uh, they also still have Vukasin Masic, who is a transfer from Maine, uh, who has looked very good for them. Tyler Robertson as well. Both guys over 15 points per game. The pilots are turning the ball over an astonishing 18 times per game. Considering the opponents that they have played, to be turning them all over 18 times a game, definitely something Leggins and the Pilots are going to need to clean up in a major way if they want to make any noise this year. Next up, the Tigers of Pacific 1-1 on the season. They are 179th in Ken Palm. Their one win, Pac-12 victory over Cal. We know Cal is still not at the level they want to be new coach coming in, Mark Madsen. I think they're going to turn things around, but still not there yet. And Pacific secured a eight point victory over Cal. They also have a loss to Sam Houston state out of the whack, a seven point loss there. Their next game is also tonight against Nevada on the road against the Wolf pack. Another really nice test. Shout out to Leonard Perry. First three games are a quality whack opponent in Sam Houston state, a Pac 12 team in Cal, and then a good mid or a good mountain West team in Nevada. That is awesome to see for Leonard Perry and the Pacific Tigers to go out there and play some high – no D2 teams for them, no you know very bad D1 teams or D3 teams for them in the schedule right now. Now, their schedule is going to slow down after this, but they still got Northridge, Fullerton, and UC Davis all out of the Big West. They also got Fresno State out of the Mountain West as well. The star for them right now is Donovan Williams. 18.5 points per game, 4.5 rebounds, 1.5 assists in their first two games. I uh, averaged 7 points per game last year for the Tigers, but looks like a guy who's taking a big step forward for them. As a team, Pacific has 34 assists and 34 turnovers. That is 17.5 per game. Love that number of assists, but woof, can't be turning the ball over 17 times per game. Same issue that the Pilots are having. Those are things that would need to be ironed out by both those clubs uh, if they want to find themselves anywhere outside of the cellar in the WCC this year. But I'm not sure anybody's going to quite get all the way into the cell- because Steve Lavin and the Toreros are getting pretty comfortable there. 226th in Ken Palm, way lower than everybody else in the conference. About 40 spots lower than where Pacific is. They have a win over Sonoma State, a D2 school. They won that game by four. They have a win over Jackson State. They also have a loss to UC San Diego in the WAC. Their next game is the 17th against Lemoyne, a team that is. In their first year as a Division One team, so good chance Toreros are three and one on the year, but haven't played anybody of substance and haven't looked particularly good in any of these games. They are shooting under forty-one percent from the field, and they have about fourteen turnovers per game. Forty percent from the field and fourteen turnovers per game is bad. Having those numbers when the teams you have played are an SWAC team in Jackson State, a D two team in Sonoma State, and a not very good WAC school in UC San Diego, yikes. Bad, bad news for the Toreros right now. This team does not look like there's a ton of upside here. Wayne McKinney the third, is back. 17.7 points, 5.3 boards, 3.7 assists, and 1.3 steals for him. He's having a fantastic start to the season. That's about it for them. They do have a somewhat intriguing freshman. I'm not just saying it because I like his last name, Kevin Patton. A six foot eight freshman from California, ten point three points and seven point seven rebounds. A guy to keep an eye on. A fairly highly ra- regarded recruit uh, coming out of high school. I think he was like in the one fifties, one sixties. Twenty four seven sports. So a nice get for Lavin and the Toreros. But man, this is not a team that looks like they're really all that close to making any noise in the WCC right now. That's going to wrap us up for today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Check out the show on Thursday. We're going to have a more conversation about Pavel Stosic after we saw him play. What does this mean? We're going to do another player preview. We haven't done those because we thought we were done with them. We're going to talk about Stosic as well as the walk-ons, what we want to see from them this season. Then we're going to round out the week on Friday with a fun guest talking about the Maui Invitational, previewing Purdue, what that matchup's going to look like, as well as the potential future matchup against Tennessee or Syracuse. And then, of course, Marquette, UCLA, Kansas, Chaminade, whoever else in Zagamai Play. All that coming up on Friday before we get into Feast Week next week here on the Locked on Zags podcast. Leave us a like, subscribe, comment on YouTube. Definitely join the Discord channel if you have not done so yet. Again, it is free to join. Just click that link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as always, go Zags.